26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins again gives to Benjamin. Hit and dropped in the backfield. <laughs> Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado. Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? I've never been in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown! Hey, Chase. What's up? You glad you picked Colorado? Thank God I went to Colorado. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of the Shoulder to Shoulder Pod, where we are going to go over the epic win against Nebraska on Saturday. Uh, and then, as always, we're going to go over the Pac-12. But uh, I think both Chase and I are just extremely pumped to get to talking about this Nebraska game. Could not be more and, excited. Yeah, and kind of what it means going forward for the rest of the season. Um Nothing really to announce this week. Uh, again, I mean, shoulder to shoulder pod at gmail.com if you have any questions. Did not have, we had one email. Uh, it was from my roommate, so that one didn't count. <laughs> nice. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't friendly, so we will, uh, we will not share that on this one. But, uh, to start it off, Pac 12, week two, kind of looked like crap again. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a good week for the pack, let's be honest. Um, Overall, I pretty much the biggest thing was Washington losing to Cal in my mind. Yeah. I mean, because Washington, after that first week, you're like, oh, maybe they're legit. You know, maybe they can mm-hmm. make a run at it. And then they lost to Cal, who, like, I understand it was a weird game. They got delayed. So the game ended at like two o'clock in the morning or something. Right. And. Cal's defense is, you know, we talked about it last week, but like one of the top in the entire country. So, you know, I understand struggling against them, but you just can't, you can't lose that one because Cal's not going to be ranked. I can't imagine. I would be surprised if they were anyway. Yeah. I mean, the thing that was, (laughs) I saw a stat on Twitter that said, and I, I, I could be completely wrong, but I think it was 10. It said Cal had not scored a touchdown in 10 quarters against Washington. Yes, I saw that too. Okay, so you saw it too. So it was the Cal, last the Cal year's game. offense. The Cal offense. Yeah, yeah, the Cal offense. Last year's game and the game before, they had not scored an offensive touchdown, and they finally broke that streak in the third quarter when they got two. Uh, I think I think one of those was defensive, though, if I'm not mistaken. It was it, – I mean, it was it was so late. I, I was so, like, emotionally and physically drained from the CU game, I couldn't even stay up to watch that one. So – I didn't get to watch it, but I mean, I, I could see. I mean, I think the AP pulls out, and I don't think Cal's ranked, but I they're can not, see them. They're they're like one of. The, I want to say they're like twenty eight or something receiving votes yeah. right now, but I just I don't know, man. Their offense is bad. Like their defense is really good, but their offense is just gonna hold them back. I mean, a lot like last year, you know. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think. I think if they, if Wilcox, their head coach, can hire a good offensive coordinator, 
I mean, it seems like he's just a defensive genius, so I think that that would be a what would kind of make them get to the next level, and I think they could start competing for the North. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe after this win, they could compete this year for it yeah, with, just because their defense is so good. Maybe. Yeah. And um, other than them, and you know, Oregon – did what Oregon does, even though they're right. one and one. They took care of Nevada, seventy-seven to six. God, brutal. Yeah, Washington State kind of did what they did, fifty-nine uh, seventeen over Northern Colorado. UCLA drops to zero and two, losing to two straight Group of Five schools. Yeah, they suck. They're just, just straight they're up, man. God they awful. they suck. I mean, I know that people at UCLA got excited when they hired Chip Kelly, but I mean, they're bad now. They had one of his worst recruiting classes I think he's had in a long time, so it's not like they're going to get that much better, <laughs> and uh, it's not looking good for them right now. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I I mean, the, the, I think the fan base is already dejected, yeah. and it's only a second season. I mean, you can't go out and lose to two group of five schools, especially in the way they did. They didn't ever – I don't think they ever held a lead in that game. No, and I mean – Okay, Cincinnati had a good year last year, but I'm pretty sure most people picked them to regress a bit after after last year. And so that, I mean, you could argue that that's relatively excusable. Um, but, I mean, San Diego State, normally strong Mountain West team, but what they win last week, they played Weber State and they beat them six to nothing. Right. Like, I mean, that's a baseball score, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I UCLA is they're not looking good right now. It's not good for them. Yeah, and one of the things that I was kind of thinking about with UCLA, and I think it kind of goes on to Nebraska as well, is I think that their offense is no longer like a completely innovative thing like it was back when Chip Kelly was at Oregon back in the 2010-11. So it's kind of like I mean defenses have seen that kind of offense, and so. <laughs> It doesn't. It's not just like so revolutionary that it's going to just take people by surprise anymore. And I think that's kind of what UCLA is seeing. And I think that's why Nebraska is not. I mean, they went four and eight last year. Again, that was a culture change year. But I don't think that their offense did. They did put up numbers against CU, but I don't think it's. You know, I don't think it's the offense that all the Nebraska fans were kind of hoping it would be. No, I mean when Chip Kelly's Oregon teams were doing their absolute best, you know, they were putting up like sixty points regularly mm-hmm. on teams so yeah i would be i would i would be surprised honestly if it if it carries on i mean you never know maybe chip kelly's there for a couple more years and and gets like his whole team his whole recruiting class you know everyone that's there has been his that he's brought in maybe they they look better but it's just kind of a it's tough <laughs> it's tough to say right yeah. now when when he looks bad and and nebraska I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail later, but you know, yeah, their offense definitely shows flashes where they have some serious playmakers on their team, but um, it's just as of right now, you're looking at a four and eight season and you're looking at a team that barely beat um, Southern Alabama university and a team that just (laughs) lost a 17, nothing lead to CU. So yeah. Um, you know, well, it'll be interesting to see how they do the rest of the year, but yeah, we're early, yeah. early returns are not great. No, definitely not. No. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that was, I mean, UCLA at this point, I think 
it's between them and Arizona right now for the last place in the South. Yeah, I mean, you can and, pretty much cross UCLA off right now. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I'm, I might say that if I were to like do a 1 through 12, I might have UCLA 12, Oregon State at 11. Yeah, or uh, Oregon State also very bad. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they had a 28 to 21 lead going into half and then got shut out, which... I honestly almost feel bad for him. It's Brian Lindgren, the old CU offensive coordinator over there. Mm, yeah, that was kind of right. his thing, where that. he would just kind of get yeah, he just kind of get figured out by the end of the first half. So I'm a little, I feel a little bad, but I mean at the same time, I didn't expect Oregon State to be any good this year. Nope. Uh, and then Utah, yeah, I think you mentioned Utah just kind of did what Utah does. They don't just completely blow out teams because they don't have the offense to do it, but their defense isn't going to let anybody get really close. I mean, they pretty much just beat you down into the ground for four quarters and you know by the end of the game the other team just gives up that's kind of the vibe that that i get from utah with their their defense and their defensive line and stuff it's just it's like a slow death yeah and uh, yeah it's just i mean i'm curious to see how cu holds up against them coming into the year i mean who knows what could happen between now and then yeah that's a long way from now yeah, but I'm just uh, – I think it's going to be an interesting game. And then uh, before, obviously, the Colorado-Nebraska game, one that really kind of shocked me was Stanford and USC. Yes. Uh, I I mean, I when I saw that JT Daniels tore his ACL, like I said, I put so much – I put a – okay, not so much. I put a substantial bet down on Stanford to win. Oh, really? Just because I said – yeah, I said at that point, you know, both backup quarterbacks are playing. It's going to come down to the better coach team. And uh, boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I still, and I, I feel like this is kind of being proven more every week, but we were saying it in the beginning, neither of us thought Stanford was all that good. And I, I don't know if it was because, you know, they're without their, their main guy or they're without their starting quarterback. They also lost, um, what's his name? He's on the offensive line for them. Uh Ooh, oh, I don't even know. God, I, I forget what his name is. But anyhow, they have an NFL caliber offensive lineman who was one of their like three returning players on offense, and they mm-hmm. lost him too um, before that game. So they didn't have either of those two guys. I almost just feel like they kind of didn't think they had a shot at it before, um, like pretty quickly once USC started getting its groove, you know, because they did have a lead in that game. Um, right. But once once USC started kind of getting an offensive groove, it seemed like Stanford was like, okay, we're not going to win this game. Yeah, yeah. So. It's, and like I said, I, I was so spent after the CU game. I just barely, I couldn't really watch any other games. I was just so tired. But from what I saw in the highlights in the, in the box score, it didn't really seem like it was ever really in question after that second quarter who was going to win that game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's one of those things where now we're just sitting there saying, "Is uh, is Slovis the new the new quarterback for USC mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future?" Because JT Daniels tore his ACL. Um, right. You know, the question is like, is he actually good, or is Stanford's defense not quite as good as people were thinking? You know, it's it's going to be interesting, and uh, their schedule is pretty rough. USC's um, to 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 have a beginning of the season here um because they they just had stanford i believe they still have notre dame coming up Mm -hmm. um and somebody else uh they play byu next week yeah okay that's it so they go byu next week utah the week after washington in seattle and then notre dame at notre dame like that's their 
their next run of games. So I think we'll find out pretty quick uh, whether Slovis Keaton is that how you pronounce his first name? I think it's Ke- I think it's Keaton. Keaton, like, yeah, Keaton yeah, Slovis. Keaton, Keaton Slovis is. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if he's legit here pretty quick. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think in both of us were kind of in agreement agreement at the beginning of the season that we didn't think that Stanford was that good. So I, I want. Yeah, I think like you said, I'm curious to see whether he's actually good or whether they just kind of expose Stanford for not being near as good as people. You know, they were they were ranked in the top twenty five people thinking that they were going to be so i think that that i think that might lean to be more true as we see what usc does in these next couple games but i mean we could be wrong i mean or i could be wrong keaton slovis could could actually be legit and maybe even a better quarterback than jt daniels when it comes to game time right well like we said yeah that that remains to be seen um but he definitely had a good a really solid first uh first start here um yeah so let's see the other other team that we still have left to talk about i mean the two arizona schools but uh first off i would say arizona state was pretty disappointing um Mm -hmm. they that first week you know we were talking about daniels saying uh he seemed legit he seemed like he they might have like found a serious quarterback here for arizona state um and i mean he had pretty good numbers 300 yards one touchdown so so it was fine, you know. Um, you know, Benjamin was held to sixty-nine yards by Sacramento State. I feel like that's a big deal for them. That's a that's um, a bad sign if Sacramento yeah. State is slowing down what I think is the top five running back in the country. Right. So I I would assume that says stuff about their offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's not looking great, um, which is too bad. I mean, we we knew you know their first game they played Kent State, so it doesn't mean a lot. But you know, next week here they play Michigan State, so um, away. So uh, we're gonna see what they're really made of too here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean the thing with Arizona State is um, I can't remember who said it on on one of the forums I go on, but one of them brought up maybe everyone flipped the script on saying Herm Edwards wasn't a good coach. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like after like when he was initially hired, everyone thought Herm Edwards was a terrible hire and it would not work out for them. Then after they went seven and five uh, last year, and I don't, I don't remember if they won or lost the bowl game, but after that game or after that season, everyone was like, "Oh, maybe Herm was a good hire." But I think maybe people just took one season, to, you know, and took it with too much or without any grains of salt, and they just assumed that maybe he was a good hire. I think maybe it's kind of showing that he might just be a mediocre coach after all. But I mean, we're really only. A, two games into the season so who knows it just it was a troubling game for Arizona State for sure yeah yeah we'll see and I mean last year he had a senior quarterback like he had experience to work with you know so he kind of came into a pretty good situation for a first year coach um so yeah well as far as that goes at least uh so it'll be interesting to see how he does this year I feel like this will be a better barometer of of how good of a coach he actually is Mm mm-hmm yeah, and then um, yeah, like you said, the last game we didn't talk about yet, uh, Arizona versus the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. Um, it seems like Arizona had this one pretty handily won, and then they put the backups in the second half, and they Northern Arizona started to come back into it. But um, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts? I I, I know JJ Taylor had a good game. He had ten attempts for 102 yards and a touchdown, so he played really well. And they also had. Just, someone Brightwell who five attempts for 141 yards. I mean, he did mm-hmm. have a 94 yard run, so yep. that's where a bulk of it comes from. But, um, what, I mean, would you, did you watch this game at all? Do you have any thoughts on it? 
I mean, really, I just... This game means pretty much nothing to me. <laughs> I mean, it shows that they can put up 65 points on a team that they should put up 65 points on, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I It looks like, numbers-wise, um, I didn't watch much of it, obviously. I mean, it, it was pretty low on the docket, so um, yeah. I don't have a lot to go on there, but I, I'm not gonna take much from this you know they were playing a bad team at home um their home opener so you gotta think that arizona is gonna come out and dominate that game no matter no matter what um i mean as you said like the backup quarterback um or the backup running back yeah five carries 141 yards and a touchdown yeah like (laughs) the backup quarterback went nine for 11 for 151 yards and three touchdowns so i mean to me that says that it didn't matter who Arizona threw out there. That team is just bad. So yeah. um, I'm not going to take much from that, honestly. I think I don't think we have to touch on it too much other than Arizona won a game. So good mm-hmm. for them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, after this week, especially with Washington losing uh, to Cal, I think – I mean, at this point, realistically, Utah – I mean, again, it's only week two and things could change, but – I don't see Washington and Oregon ending the season with just one loss. I think they're going to both lose probably one other time. So at this point, I think Utah is really the only shot that this conference has of anybody even sniffing the playoff. Uh, Just because I think it's just going to be like prior years where the teams just start to cannibalize each other. Because I mean, I think uh, personally, I put the Pac-12 into three tiers. I think you have your, you know, your top tier, which is, in my opinion, it's Washington, Oregon, Utah, and then tier two. Actually, I, I might honestly throw Washington State in there right now. Um, right. right. <clears throat> but then after that, you have like the middle of the pack, which is I have CU in there. I have, uh, gosh, now I got to run through all the teams in the Pac-12. <laughs> I got CU in there. I've got. Uh, Cal in there, I've got USC in there, and Stanford in there, and then I've got your terrible teams, which and right now I've got, oh, Arizona State's in the middle tier, and then I've got Arizona, Oregon State, and uh, I'm missing one, oh, UCLA in that bottom tier. I probably missed a team in there, but um, just in general, I think that that's how it's going to work out, and I think the middle tier teams are just going to cannibalize each other, and then it's really up to, I think at this point, Utah to to take the reins and they, they pretty much have to win out. I think they, you know, if they're a one loss Pac-12 champion, maybe I could see them getting the nod, but just with the, with the media's view of the Pac-12, I don't see that being a very likely scenario. Yeah, I agree. I, unless Utah runs the table straight up, I, I don't know. And that they still need some help. I mean, they would need some of those top teams to, to lose. I think, I just think that's how bad the national opinion is of the PAC 12. I, I don't think they can even get in on their own power right now. So, Mm-mm. um, unless like, yeah, Oregon or Washington manages to go the rest of the way with only, only one loss and they end up ranked pretty well, pretty high for that PAC 12 championship game. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm with you. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, just, it's just bad. It's just a bad look when two teams lost to group of five. Yeah, this week, sure. and it happened last week too, and it happened the week before. Or, well, I guess or last week was the first week. It happened last week too, um, so it just kind of seems like the same old, same old. But I mean, you never know. If one of those three teams—Utah, Washington, or four teams—Washington State and uh, Oregon can get through with one loss, maybe there's a shot. But right now, I don't think it's looking too good. No, yeah, it's it's not, it's not. But 
oh well you know <laughs> that's that's the pac 12 era we live in right now yes yes it is they still got some work to do to turn that around yeah so on to the most important game of the week and one that actually somehow not somehow actually you know lifted the pac 12 in the eyes of some people just because it was an unranked pac 12 team beating a ranked team even though both of us agree that they shouldn't really have been ranked in the first place but cu our buffs taking down nebraska they were 25. Are they 25? Yeah, they came in they at 25 because they dropped from 24. Yeah. Taking them down, I mean, I mean, I'm sure we both have very different views of how the game was just yeah. because you were on TV, I was in the stadium. Yeah, why don't you give me uh, give me just go through the game. How was it being? How was it being there in the stadium? Well, I guess to start, I'll just go over. I mean, we got there to start tailgating at 9 o'clock um, and – I was immediately pissed off. There was oh, yeah. so many people with their stupid ass red, and there's so many of them in this tail tailgating lot that historically has always been just bus fans. And to get, I mean, to get into this lot, you had to have season tickets. So right off the bat, I was oh. like, "Well, okay, people were selling, people were selling out. Either hopefully it was just their spot for tailgating to make some money. Hopefully they weren't selling tickets or anything." And so that was already a bad sign, um, but. Then I walked into the stadium, and it, it was worse. I've seen pictures now of the stadium after the fact. It was worse than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, from my point of view, I was like, okay, you know, the visitor section is, is full of red, which I expected. And then the upper east side was pretty red. I didn't realize it was pretty much red all around, which really pissed me off. Um, I, I mean... I know there's other as a couple of Husker fans sitting right in front of us, which means the people that are normally sitting there are season ticket holders. They sold out. And just from talking around a bunch of people, it seemed like that was pretty much the case where everyone was sitting is people that they knew and had been going to games with them for years, sold out their tickets for, for basically for money. Um, yeah. Not basically literally for money. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> literally to be like a couple hundred bucks richer. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really frustrating. And I think a lot of people kind of made their point across on various social media outlets and whatnot, where it just seems like the fans that didn't, that's the fans that sold out their tickets. They, I mean, I don't, you can't do this because CU just doesn't have the fan base to do it. But personally, I would, I would love it if their tickets were revoked for the rest of the year, just because they don't deserve to come back to another game after doing something like that. Yeah. I mean, Look, watching it on TV, let me tell you, it was very clear immediately, like, wow, that whole stadium looks red, with the exception of the student section, so Mm -hmm. shout out CU students for just filling that thing up, like, right away, so that was cool to see, Um, but yeah, so much of that stadium was red, I mean, I know... A couple of people in my family pointed out, like, look, the red definitely stands out a lot more than, like, the black or the gold or whatever that people were wearing. Um, but still, I mean, it was pretty clear. Like, it looked like an away game for CU in that one. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty disappointing. I, I think it's pretty much across the board, all the diehard CU guys. I mean, like you said, on social media, people are making a lot of points about this. It definitely was... I mean, I was saying early on in the game when I was frustrated, um, I was doing a lot of yelling. You can, my, my family will vouch for that one, but, uh, (laughs) 
part of the yelling that I was doing was about how embarrassing it was that this game is on national television and it's in Boulder and probably 70% of the stadium was red. Yeah. So I don't know. It is what it is. Um, I'm with you. I, you know, I don't think they can, you can't revoke season ticket holders, but those guys, I mean, come on. Like, how could you honestly look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm going to sell these tickets just for my own personal gain of being a bit richer, like a Mm -hmm. couple hundred dollars to some people who we hate. I mean, if you're a season ticket holder for CU, like, what are you doing selling to Nebraska fans? How can you do that? Like, it, it there's got to no be sense. something in a contract somewhere that's like, oh, by the way, if you sell these tickets to someone from Nebraska, then you're a piece of trash. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. So, that's, I guess that's all I have to say on that. But, yeah. I mean, I, I guess one saving grace is they did the exact same thing to Notre Dame. Right. Which, I, I can't, was it, when did they play Notre Dame? Oh, it was a few years back. But, yeah. Um, they did the exact same thing to Notre Dame. And I feel like Notre Dame has a pretty passionate fan base. So, I mean, I guess. You know, when there's nothing else to do in your state, <laughs> you, you, you're willing to spend out a lot more money on getting a couple tickets to a game. Um, I mean, that's 100% what it is. Like, yeah. when you're in Boulder, going to a football game is not all you have to do. Or just mm-hmm. in Colorado in general. Right. Which is fine. I mean, I get that. But, like, I know I wasn't the only person who looked at that screen or was in that stadium and just thought, wow, this is embarrassing. Like, yeah, it was I embarrassing am, for I am sure. Em- embarrassed at how many people from nebraska showed up there so mm-hmm. um and so one thing that like right before i get into that one thing that um i didn't notice too much and i think a lot of this was because i was like i was so nervous the whole time i could barely like keep it together i didn't think that they were actually i thought that the cu fans in general were actually were actually louder even though it seemed like they're outnumbered i never thought I mean, I never heard any, like, the Husker Power, Go Big Red chants. I'm, I'm sure they were going on during the game. I just, like, was so, like, focused on, like, just, like, watching what was happening. I didn't hear it or something. But it seemed like when the, when it came down to crunch time and, like, when, when you needed to stop on defense, the CU fans were kind of taking over there. And so that was that was at least a little bit um, of, a, of a good sign. Yeah, I mean, I know all the players and, and Mel Tucker even in their press conferences and stuff, they all mentioned like they were so happy with the fan presence that they had. So, mm-hmm. I mean, looking on TV, yeah, I, I could say that they must have been some loud CU fans in there because um, there weren't a ton. And I mean, granted, the football players are right by the student section, so that probably helps them. Yeah. Um, you know, because, yeah, the you know, we both know from spending a couple of years ourselves being real rowdy in there that that place can get loud. So, yeah, um, if I think it funnels down into the sta- into the field very well. Yeah. So that's that's cool to hear. I'm glad that they definitely had that. I was a little worried that they were going to talk about being disappointed, you know, by the fan turnout or whatever. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it seemed like, and watching on TV, it seemed like it was just loud the whole time, really. It really, like, really was. It, it pretty much just seemed like there was no lull, like in a home game, you know, when they're on offense, sometimes there's a little bit of a lull in between plays because they're trying to keep quiet or whatever. So there really wasn't that. And I think that's just indicative of how the stadium was filled, you know, with all those fans from both teams. Um, but it just seemed like, yeah, it was loud always the whole time. Yeah, and that, I think that contributed to making it such a fun environment. It was, it was a lot of fun, and I, I think for the most part there weren't there weren't many people being, um, 
completely out of control. Like it seemed pretty civil. I, I got into a little tiff with a guy, but that was, um, that was to be expected. I apologized. He apologized. We got over it and we were all friends and whatnot, but I, I think for the most part, it was, it was very civil between both fans, uh, until the end of the game, which we'll obviously get to. But, um, I think one silver lining of, of the stadium being so you know, probably 60 to 70% red was getting to see them all leave after the game. Uh, they're all dejected and you could just tell that they were like in shock that they, they lost the game. And that was, that was the one saving grace of that many people being in red in that stadium. Yeah, man. Take that big fat L and enjoy it on that seven hour drive home. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more than seven hours for most of these people actually, but, um, that was, so that was, that was the one thing that I can say was nice about it. It was, it was nice to see them walking off pretty bummed out. Um, so to just kind of go over, you know, what happened, it was really a cliche tale, tale of two halves. The first half offense, what was it? Like they had 86 yards of offense in the first half. So you did. Yeah. Something brutal like that. I, I don't even remember exactly how much it was, but it, it was, it was rough. I don't think it was that low. I, I want to say it was a little bit better than that, but um, they almost, they almost matched it on like one play. <laughs> so yeah. In the second half. So. It was yeah. It was. I mean, I think, and I think we'll we'll talk about it as we go through the second half. But the the offense, it didn't seem like they made that many adjustments between the first and the second half. Um, I think a lot of what changed in that game was Montez just kind of settling down and actually just like, you know, taking over the game. I mean, he really did take over the game, and I think that he showed that in this game. Um, for four quarters total, he was the better quarterback, which is what I think he's going to need to do for quite a few games this year for CU to win. But I think he really, I mean, it was, it was impressive to see how much he changed over, over just over that 20 minute halftime. And I think, um, I, I know I've, I've seen people talking about this, so you can probably attest to this that apparently, you know, when you're watching on TV, they were showing him just like he was talking to people throughout the entire second half. And he was just like, he was like, you know, bringing his guys together and getting everybody ready to go for the next drive. And it seemed like he really just kind of took on that leadership role that maybe might not have been there in that first half. And I think that kind of helped him also get in his groove and start to sling the ball around like he should have been. Yeah, man. I mean, big, big game for Steven Montez on this one. I mean, Nebraska was probably his best game last year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he he had a good one, the good one this year, at least in the second half. You know, first half, I think it was a struggle. Like, I know – even watching on TV was frustrating. Um, I, I, not being in the stadium, I couldn't see, you know, what it looked like downfield. So I know he took, he took three sacks in the first half, but it just seemed like he was holding the ball for so long and he just wasn't finding anybody, Mm -hmm. um, on a couple of those plays. I mean, there was one play at least where, uh, I think he had it for like six seconds before he tried to escape and then ended up getting tackled. So, um, that, that was kind of, kind of tough to see, but in the second half, I mean, you're totally right. I know on that, when they, they brought it to 17, 14, they were right there. And then Nebraska came back immediately one play 75 yard touchdown, you know, it immediately, yeah. it panned to Montez and he was over there shouting at his guys, just being like, that's fine. We're just going to score again. You know, like yeah. he, was, he was just looking at him like, like whatever, no problem. We're going to score again. It's fine. Let's just do it again. So. Yeah, I think that's and I think that's huge to see from a senior quarterback, especially when uh, he's been the kind of the brunt of people just te- you know going after his leadership. When you know maybe 
when he was a sophomore, maybe to throw in frat science thing kind of got on the got in the minds of some people. But I think for the most part, also, I think also sorry on that point, I, I just want to put this out there. Um, I saw something that was talking about how when he did that, it had something to do with one of his brothers who passed or something recently before that. See, I think I do remember hearing something about that, so, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so I, I feel like that's been taken out of context a little bit as far as like mm-hmm. an example of how, oh, he's not mature enough, you know, but I don't know. I feel for the guy because really all the buffs, like, I felt like handled themselves this week leading up to this game very well. I know that oh, there, was, gosh. there was a lot of trash talking coming from the nebraska side it seemed like mm-hmm. i mean even scott frost calling us an ex-rival i felt like was a little a little bit of a dig whether it's it was inten- dig, yeah. intentional or not i don't know but he definitely was kind of like poking poking fun at us a little bit which seemed puzzling to me i i always felt like the coach's thing was to take the high road and treat everyone like they're really good no matter what you actually think of them and all that stuff um so that was that was surprising to me i also thought and you couldn't hear this because you were at the stadium but on the broadcast so all that happens all week nebraska is just talking trash all week Mm -hmm. um one guy who was from colorado is saying thank god that i went to nebraska instead of colorado we've talked about that before i don't understand it It doesn't make any sense now you're owing two dude so have fun and he's got a worse record over the last five years so So you can suck it but uh (laughs) second of all you know and then they've had guys talking about oh they've got a target on their heads because of what happened to martinez in that game last year and like all sorts of stuff coming from them and then the cu i mean was pretty much like people reporters were trying to goad them into saying something all week in their Mm -hmm. in their media media time and stuff i think the only thing i even heard really was montez said um Something about, you know, they've been doing enough talking for both of us, which I thought was I love that was quote. perfect. Yeah, because you can say something without even saying something, really. Um, mm-hmm. And so all that happens all week. And on the broadcast, the only quote I hear brought up the whole time comes from Davion Taylor talking about how they felt if they just kept Martinez forced him to pass instead of run then that was where they were best what that's where they had their best chance just make him throw the ball so that's all i heard the whole time they were all just pointing out like every time martinez made a play every time he completed a pass oh well davion taylor the one who said um that oh martinez is bad at passing is pretty much what they were trying to say Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't get it. And, and Joe Davis was one of the broadcasters on there. He's a broadcaster for the Dodgers. Uh, for people who don't know, I'm an avid Dodgers fan. So I listen to this guy like every day. <laughs> he's, he's honestly, he's one of the best, but I, it just felt like they were just running with this quote over and over and over again. And they wanted so badly for Martinez to have a game where he threw for like 350 yards and, and four touchdowns or something like that. And, uh, and I think he responded to it too. He said something about like, oh, I hope they let me do that. But, um, I just wanted to say, as far as that goes, David Taylor was pretty much just saying, yeah, we just want to make sure he can't just run all over us. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think what he was saying was that groundbreaking, you know, he was just saying, let's make the offense one dimensional and we'll have a better shot. Like, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's also exactly kind of what we had mentioned last week when we were like, what's the kind of the key to winning this game is making him more of a thrower than a runner. Right. And that's what they did in the second half, and that's why they won that game. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like they pretty much completely took away his scrambling with the exception of, like, one or two drives in the second half. And, uh, 
Yeah, and he did. I mean, he started missing throws, you know, mm-hmm. like when he's comfortable, when he just feels like I can run or I can throw this ball and it'll be good either way. You can see he's better. I mean, rightfully so, but he makes these throws. And then you can tell when he's kind of unsure about running, like after he gets hit a couple of times, after he got brought down the backfield or stopped for like one or two yards, he starts trying to force these passes or he'll start kind of overthrowing or underthrowing guys, throwing the ball behind receivers, things like that. So um, I yeah, I think he was right, honestly, is all I was saying. I think he was right. I and mean, I don't think he was necessarily trying to take a dig at Martinez. I think he was just saying, yeah, we have to stop him from running because if we can force him to only be able to pass, we're going to be better off. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, he was being respectful of the ability that Martinez has as a runner, as a dual threat guy. And right. they just kind of took it out of context. I think I think the last thing I'll really say on that is um, kind of what you said is they see you really didn't take any jabs back. And I think that that kind of emphasizes that teams take on the persona of their head coach. And yeah, hundred percent. Hundred Frost started talking shit the minute the week was was starting, and Mel Tucker, you know, was I mean, reporters even trying to goad him into saying something and. And all he had was, you know, positive things to say about Nebraska, you know, saying they were an explosive team. And even though they did not look like an explosive team against South Alabama, right. um, I mean, he was just being respectful and he was not goading anything at all. And, and the, the CU players did the exact same thing. I mean, no one was no one was taking shots at the Huskers. And I think that that kind of contributed to how part of this game played out. I think that Nebraska came out extremely, extremely amped up for that first half. And I think that was also part of it. Um, and, and Tucker said it in his post game interview, he said, you know, they gave us their best shot in the first half and I think they did. And in the second half, that was really what the two teams matched up evenly looked like. I don't like, there was no extra amp going into that, into that second half. I think that the better team just showed up and played and outplayed in the second half. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, okay. That's the other thing for all the Nebraska fans out there being like, Oh, we were the better team, but we lost for even a couple of the players said that same crap again. Mm-hmm. We were, the, yeah. we were the better team, but we lost the game. You know what? Like, you got to win the game to say you're the better team. Like, I get, okay, maybe you, every once in a while, you have the better team, has some bad breaks or whatever, but, dude, it wasn't like CU didn't have some bad breaks. I mean, LaVisca Chanel was, like, halfway to taking a kick return to the house on one of those plays, and he fumbled, and they still stood up, had a three and out on Nebraska's next drive, and then went down the field and scored. So, yeah, I mean, like, you got to, I just, that stuff just fires me up when I see people be like, oh, we were the better team. We were the better team. Like, based on what? Based on your it, record? No. Yeah. Based on your record against CU? Also, no. I mean, <laughs> like, what? based on what information are you saying you were the better team? The score, by the way, was 34 to 31 and you lost. So good try. Uh, see you in three years. See, see you in three years indeed. Um, that, yeah, it really bothers me when they, when I hear people say things like that. And kind of like you mentioned someone, I saw someone list out, there were like six or seven things that went wrong for CU in the second half. And they were still able to bounce back and come back from that 17, zero, um, deficit at halftime. And, 30 or 27 of the 34 points were scored in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was just an impressive second half. Is that real? 27 of the, Oh yeah. Look at that fourth quarter in overtime. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Fourth quarter in overtime. I had to to double check that because that's just absolutely ridiculous. How many points they put up in one quarter in one quarter. Yeah. 
Yes, I mean the the better team won, and it, it, the, I, I mean there's really no question about it. It's it's unfortunate that um, some of their players have to resort to that because they just. I mean, I, I'm sure that a lot of it is in is in the emotion of the game, but um, the fact of the matter is that they, they they were not the better team, and there were a couple of publications nationally that were making fun of some of the people and players that had that quote. Yeah. Um, uh, one one specifically, I think it might have been like NBC Sports said, "Well, if that's the case, maybe we should just you know let teams run out on the field for about forty five minutes, and then we'll have the players on each side decide who was the better team. We won't right. t- keep track of score or anything like that." Right. So, um, it was just a it's just a I think poor a poor sportsmanship and in, in being kind of a sore loser there. But um, I mean, like I said, they take on the persona of their coach, and he did that exact thing last year. So I'm not really surprised to see it this year. Yeah. I totally agree. Mel Tucker, this was a huge, huge game for him. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. You got any, like, big moments in the game that you want to go over specifically? Um, I know that there were definitely a lot of, of, like, momentum kind of turning points for the Buffs, at least. I mean, how could you not talk about the Flea Flicker? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, is, <sighs> that is the gutsiest call. Like, let me just say, Coach Mack last year never Never does that. That does no not chance. happen. A flea flicker from your own four yard line. Forget about it. Absolutely not. It, oh, I mean, that took some big balls to call. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. I, he's gonna have I, a hard time walking around for a little while because those things gotta be heavy. I was thinking, like, I mean, I, I wonder how. I, I wish I could just like get some insight into like what the you know what the conversation was. Like, do you think Jay Johnson, you know, said on the headset, he calls down, he says, "Talk," you know. I think we should run this play. It's got to be huge. Or do you think Tucker's like, we got to get something big. Jay, give us your best play. I mean, yeah. I just wish I could hear that conversation because I, you know both of them were involved in that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, they had to be. I can't imagine that Tucker would just let his offensive coordinator be like, hey, I'm going to take a shot 96 yards down the field, you know. Um, yeah. But I I think from the way that, I mean, even the players like KD, um, KD was talking about it and, and Steven actually, they were both talking about it and they were saying that they pretty much just, they got the look that they wanted. I guess they, they watched a ton of tape. Um, by the way, Katie Nixon, love that guy. Every time he's oh, interviewed, I, I just, I love listening to him get interviewed cause he's just awesome. But, um, they were talking about how they knew that the Nebraska safeties always help on the run when they're lined up a certain way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and four yards from their own end zone, naturally everyone's going to be like, yeah, they're for sure running this ball. They're going to try to get some yards um, just to kind of get some room back there. So they just knew they were going to bite on the run for sure. hundred percent, which like mm-hmm. everyone, like when I saw them toss that ball back to Steven, I was like, Oh my God, what is happening right now? Yeah, um, I can only imagine what it was like in the stadium. But yeah, so it sounded like that was no fluke. You know, I, I would imagine that conversation went something like, hey, they're giving us this look. I think we have a good shot with Flea Flicker. And then Tucker was probably like, yeah, let's do it. You know? Yeah. It, yeah, it just it takes some some big balls by both of them to, to run that play. And it was just, I mean, when he caught that ball, you knew he wasn't going to get caught. And the guy fell down anyways. And it was stadium erupted. It was completely an unreal to watch in the moment and i mean that that play should be on like espn's top 10 i didn't have a chance to watch it, it was today but it was. it was yeah it was on the top 10 i i i didn't see what the number was i just saw it. someone tweeted out that it was on sports center top 10 but uh it, yeah i'm sure it was up there it had to be up there yeah i mean unreal play and then um that not not necessarily a specific one but 
the sacks, I don't know if I want to say all six of CU sacks came in the second half. Yeah, I I looked it up. I'm I'm pretty sure they all they all did. All six of them came in the second half because um, Mustafa had had three of them. Um, Makai Blackman had one on a corner blitz that mm-hmm. was pretty awesome. <laughs> I just love I love seeing that. I love when the guy comes off the outside and you're just like, oh god, where did he come from? Yep. Um, and then Alex Changum, man, that guy. I didn't. I don't know how much he was in the game, but he back to back plays two sacks. So that was pretty sweet to see. I mean, I don't know if that's like a sign of the depth or what, but he just came mm-hmm. in there and and was like, all right, I'm a wreck shit. Yeah. <laughs> so and well and and kind of like like you said, a sign of the depth. Something I, I noticed when I was going back and doing my rewatch is Tucker and and Brumbaugh, the defensive line coach, were sticking to that whole we're gonna rotate seven, eight, nine guys. I mean, they were legitimately rotating guys left and right, and I think that kind of played a part in why the defense was able to get pressure in the second half because they were basically just running in fresh legs every single series. And when you're going against an offensive line like Nebraska's that was already pretty inexperienced, uh, that's going to tire them out in the altitude, and that's going to. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons why they were able to get that pressure going in the second half. Yeah, I mean, that was a clear, clear difference in how they handled the game, like. Because if you take out, they had one, they had that one, they had one play where um, Nebraska got it outside to Mo Washington, which like I don't even want to touch on that guy as a human being, but um, terrible dude. Yeah, he just was super fast and outran them for seventy five mm-hmm. yards. But if you take that play out, I mean, really, the Nebraska offense, like the second, the whole second half, didn't have a lot going on. Um, they did were, nothing really. They were able to put together that one drive at the end, but you know they still needed to convert a fourth down to do it, and it was not easy going. So, and, right, and, and, in, yeah. and in overtime, they had probably the worst series of plays I've ever seen in an overtime game, as far and, as that goes. And I, yeah, I think my favorite part about that too is that Frost calls the plays, and he just completely shit the bed oh, on that one. Just laid a big fat egg on that yeah. one. Yeah, and that makes it so that makes it so much so much better to, to look back on is that he's the reason that they screwed up in overtime and um, I, I mean for somebody like him who's shown that he's pretty arrogant he's not a, a great leader of, of young college kids I love to see that yeah I mean it, it was awesome I was just I was so happy because the whole time as soon as uh, Stefano made that kick which shout out to him I mean he put that thing right down the middle that was like mm-hmm. Just no problem for him. Um, as soon as he made that kick, I was thinking, I know Nebraska doesn't have their kicker. Like, this is looking good for us as long as we can keep him out of the end zone. Um, and, I mean, I guess to add on to that, what we were talking about with the sacks, but as far as, like, one specific moment, I, I know I tweeted it out sometime after the game, but um, Mustafa Johnson getting back there and getting that sack of Martinez on third down and just basically making giving Nebraska absolutely no choice to try and go for it, first of all, and then also making that kicker, who was, I think, their punter, have to kick from seven yards farther. I mean, that pretty much ended the game right there, almost. I mean, as soon as he lined that thing up, I was like, he's not going to make it. There's no way he's going to make it. And then he absolutely shanked it. And uh, I was just, I mean, I was jumping up and down, running through my house, screaming when they finally pulled that thing off. So that was just... It was a huge play, and I feel like a lot of how that game ended is, 
as a direct result of him just getting to the backfield and getting to the quarterback on that last play, you know? Yeah. And you kind of to touch on the fact they didn't have a kicker. I mean, I'm fine with bashing on frost. He's not a 20, he's not an 18 to 22 year old kid. Um, or 25 if you're BYU. He, <laughs> he or, even or said in his, his 30s if you're uh, Stefano. Good point. Yeah. Um, he, in his postgame presser, said, I knew we didn't have a kicker. Yeah. I mean, at like, if I'm, if I'm, what is it Armstrong? Is it, that, yeah, like I think it was, I think it was Armstrong. There were some jokes about like, if he was leg strong, maybe he would have made the kick or something <laughs> like that. So, but yeah, I think I mean, it was Armstrong. If I'm him, I'm saying F you, dude. That like I'm not gonna kick for you anymore. Like, who? What kind of coach says that about their own team? Yeah, I mean, you just flat out like the way that game ended. You just can't put him in that position. You know, no. it, it, the fact that Martinez took that sack. I mean, you've got a running quarterback. You would think that they would say, "Whatever you do, don't take a sack right now." You know, get yeah. like maybe. I would think they. They'd be saying, you know, go first look, and if you don't have it, try and scramble for a few yards just to make it a little easier, you know? Because, I mean, college rules, you start out on the 20, what, the 25, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in field goal range immediately. If you just don't lose yards, it's like a fairly reasonable kick, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, as soon as he took that, yeah, seven, he lost seven more yards. Like, I, I feel, I feel for that guy. I feel for their punter because, um, you know, he, yeah, he was put in a pretty awful situation and they said, okay, you have one career kick that came earlier in this game. And it was from like, it was like a chip shot or something. Mm-hmm. It was. And they said, okay, now go take this kick that because we lost seven yards on the last play is pretty far. And in the most high pressure situation, you could possibly put a kicker in where if you don't make it, you lose, yep. you know? So yeah. Yeah. That's I, I do feel him. bad for that guy. And then, yeah. And then right after Scott said, you know Armstrong meet bus, so that's I I don't know I, I, I that kind of bugged me. I'm, I'm not even I don't even care for the kid too much. He's not a CU player, but right, I, yeah. If I if I'm his parents or something, or if I'm his friends, I'm telling him like you need to get out of that program because I wouldn't want to play for a guy like that. That just throws his own players under the bus. But hey, I'll tell you uh, what, if I'm a recruit and I'm anywhere near that game, I'm thinking see you all the way. Let me tell you yeah. how much. Because, yeah, look at Mel Tucker, how he handled himself, how he talked about his oh, players, week. how the players talked about Mel Tucker. I mean, KD said probably like eight times that after that game that Mel Tucker is the player's coach, and they all love him for it, and um, all this stuff, like just gushing about the guy. And then you got Scott Frost on the other side saying like, oh, I didn't have a kicker, and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, he's, I don't know. It's not looking good for them. So no. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we mentioned a few guys, uh, what is one player that impressed you that we haven't really talked about? Um, and I know I've got one in my head. I don't know how I didn't bring him up. Um, just because now that I'm thinking of like big moments in the game, this is one of them, but who was a player that, that stuck out to you aside from the ones we kind of brought up already? Um, well, okay. We might, we might have the same guy here, but I, I know there were a few. Um, and I know we touched on like Katie, um, but Tony Brown. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I was going to say. He had, I mean, the catch that he made at the end of the game and props to Steven Montez too, because that thing was a dime that he absolute threw, dime. Um, like put it in the absolute perfect spot, but for him to maintain his composure, catch that thing, drag his foot in the end zone. I mean, I think the Nebraska corner even kind of tipped it just a little bit. 
Yeah. So um, for him to make that catch, I mean, that was huge. And and he did, and I know he talked about it after the game, um, he did have one ball that he got in the end zone, I think on the drive before, that he mm-hmm. he dropped. Um, but, I mean, it would have been a tough play regardless. Uh, so it, at least in my mind, when I saw it happen, I wasn't like, oh, God, that's awful. You know, I was just thinking like, oh, man, he almost made a really good play. And then to just turn around on the next drive, run that go route, and just perfectly make that catch. That was unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah. It was he, a perfect throw. It was a perfect catch. It was both of those. It was an NFL throw and it was an NFL catch. Not, I mean, yeah, there's no other way to put it. 100%. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I figure we have the same guy because, I mean, Tony Brown, two weeks in a row now, has just been impressive, even though his stats don't necessarily say it. Right, um, right. He just, uh, he's been. Like like I think Chev called him, he's Mr. Consistency, and I think that's what we're going to see for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, 100%, he made, like, that was, that was that and Katie's flea flicker touchdown, you know. I mean, those were, like, the two biggest, two of the biggest plays of the entire game right there, where um, they just, huge, huge momentum plays. Obviously, Tony Brown, I mean, that, that catch saved them, clearly, because the time was running out and they needed it. Um. So that, yeah, those are both amazing. I, I think the only other people I'd want to shout out are the running backs kind of together. I thought mm-hmm. they, you know, their stats don't jump out, but um, Jaron Mangum was, or yeah, Mangum was, was 44 yards only, but 11 carries. So four yards per carry is like decent um, and two touchdowns. And both of his touchdown runs were were impressive plays and then they were big time. Yeah. Big time plays. And then Fontenot going 42 yards on 10 carries plus adding another 20, um, receiving, you know, I mean, those guys, they put in, they put in a lot of work during that game. And, and I felt like, um, they had solid games despite not, you know, putting up huge numbers, but the pair of them, you know, together, I thought it was a, it was a seriously good combo. You could kind of tell like Mangum's just blowing through guys and Fontenot's just kind of shifty, like, dancing around people and stuff. So it, it was fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, the, the running backs, I think they impressed. And I think, you know, the line again kind of showed that as games go, go the offensive line, as the game goes on, um, they'll start to kind of take control. And I think they did that going forward the second half. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. So uh, before we uh, oh, get to the air force, oh, one more oh, person, go ahead. one more person, um, our punter, Alex Kinney. Alex Kinney. That guy's a what beast. a legend. Yes, he's a legend. He was single handedly like that whole first half, just pinning Nebraska inside their twenty, like every single time. It was amazing. I I gotta say, I've never been very excited about a punter, but that guy's a badass. So shout out Alex Kinney. Yeah, I'm looking at stats right now, and he had a long of sixty. He had six punts for 271 yards. I mean, that's a 45 yard average for punting. I mean, he's that guy is going to be in the conversation for Ray Guy Award, and uh, he rightly deserves it. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know. It, it just felt like it's just nice to know. Okay, well, at least Kenny's back there, and he's going to hit a bomb, and they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I yeah. think I think he did. He had one kick that I think someone said, "Oh, it looks like it might be a little bit of a short punt," and then he even got a good bounce on that one that uh, that took it another 10, 15 yards or something like that. So. Um, oh no, that was nice to see. It was nice to feel good. So sorry about yeah. that. Anyhow, you were no, saying I, that, that that's a great point. I think yeah, he deserves it. And so does Stefano. I think they're both going to be consistent for us throughout the year, and um, that's a lot bigger than people kind of remember it to be. But 
Um, before we get to Air Force, I know we're kind of going long here, but I think this game deserves it. Yeah, 100%. Um, Come on. I mean, anyone who's like a big CU Buff fan should be able to listen to a recap of the Buffs beating Nebraska for as long as they want. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so two things before we Air Force. Uh, what do you think this win means kind of going forward for the rest of the season? Um, I mean, like you said, we talked about it earlier, but it, it was a win against a top 25 opponent. So um, I felt like that was big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we talked about it before, but Nebraska did, probably didn't deserve to be ranked top 25. But right. I do think it's a good win. I think Nebraska still has a decent shot to win a, a good number of games here in the Big Ten because their, their division isn't the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it could look good for the Buffs down the line. It really, for me, it, it just says that CU's legit. You know, they're not mm-hmm. they're not going to be a pushover team. Like, they're going to be in some some games coming up here down the line. And uh, it just really says that they're going to be a competitive team. And I, I don't think anyone in the Pac-12 especially can can take them lightly after, after beating a Nebraska team and... and having to overcome, you know, a lot of diverse or a lot of, um, a lot of issues and having to overcome a lot of adversity and stuff to, uh, to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of the same way. And I think kind of in conjunction with how, what we've seen so far from the Pac-12 South, I think this really kind of cements that CU does have a fighting chance at getting that second spot in the South, which is, you know, way better. I mean, everyone predicted him to be last in the South again. And I think most people, even in the CU fan base, we're, we're kind of thinking, you know, if you can be not last, but fourth or fifth, I think they, you know, count that as a successful season if you can get to a bowl game. But I legitimately think, you know, this team is mentally tough enough and obviously conditioned enough that I think that they'll be able to fight for that second spot behind Utah, which is, I think, huge for Mel Tucker's first year. And I, that's just a, a sign of what I think is a lot of great things to come. Yep, 100%. Um, feeling real good about Mel Tucker right now. Feeling real good about what he's what he's done already. Even though it's only two games in, we really don't know what the rest of the year is going to look like. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know I wrote down just just a couple of things that he said after the game, and you touched on one of them already. That he went in at halftime and he didn't panic. He didn't cuss anyone out. He didn't you know yell and scream. This is coming from the players, but that he was just talking about how, okay, they gave us their best shot and we haven't even scratched the surface yet. So we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was big and, and another idea that was kind of shot around um, a lot after the game, the fact that, you know, he said our team was built in the weight room, you know, and, and Katie saying like, look, we won this game during summer workouts saying like that was some of the hardest stuff he's ever done in his entire life. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think as, as fans, we, we love to hear. And I think this game just really shows you like, okay, Mel Tucker seems like he knows what he's doing. And I think there's a lot more people who are kind of jumping on the Mel Tucker bandwagon now who weren't there already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think especially after beating a team like Nebraska, a team that, CU fans universally pretty much hate aside from the sellouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, uh, aside that's aside cute, from the traders. Yeah. yeah. That's going to bring a lot of people into Mel Tucker's uh, camp, but um, kind of to lead into that, it, it does make me happy that um, Mel Tucker in his first game at home was able to beat Nebraska and Scott Frost couldn't do that in his first game at home. And then to make it 0-2 against the Buffs and Scott Frost two first two years is 
is a great is a great feeling for me. But that kind of leads into my question. I I kind of played around this idea in my head. I, I don't know how realistic it is, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts on. Do you think Scott Frost is still at Lincoln come twenty twenty three when they come back to Boulder? Yeah, you know, I I think, and and we were talking about this a little bit before, but um, I I think he's still gonna be there. I I think it would take total meltdown for them to just get rid of him after all the hype that they had building up to this, you know, and, and I still think, I mean, if you look at Nebraska's schedule, um, you know, next week they should beat Northern Illinois. I think they'll beat Illinois. I think they'll probably have a good shot at beating Northwestern, at least how they looked against Mm -hmm. Stanford who, you know, looked bad against USC, um, Minnesota, Indiana, Purdue, um, like those are all games that Nebraska has a good shot of winning, especially since, you know, for as much as we can dislike, um, the Husker fans, they do fill up that stadium and make it a really tough place to play. Um, yeah, so they do. I, I can't see, unless they have just a really awful year, I just can't see them getting rid of him. And I don't think that they're going to have a terrible year, even though they lost to CU this year. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they still have a decent season the rest of the way. And I think a decent season kind of, um, you know, gives him a little bit of leeway. Plus there's always the idea of, oh, you've got to wait until the coach has all of his own guys, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to wait four four years, then he's with everyone on the team or five years or however long it is. And everyone on the team is someone that he's recruited, that he's brought in, you know, those are the guys that he wants. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, I think he's still going to be there, I guess is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think he will too. I think one of the reasons I just wanted to kind of bring that in is, I mean, uh, on Twitter, you saw a lot. And, and again, Twitter is a select special group of fans, <laughs> especially yeah. for Nebraska. I feel like the 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 worst of them run, run around on Twitter. And for the most part, I think they are relatively, you know, classy fans. Um, I hate using that term. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, I think I think the Twitter brings out the worst in them, and I mean, they were all starting. It seems like a lot of them were starting to turn on Frost already, which uh, made me laugh because he was, you know, he was the golden boy, savior boy last year. Um, but who, who knows? I mean, I think a lot of, and and like like obviously this year he's he's in his second year, so no matter what happens, he's going to be there. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how they come out against um, Northern Illinois next week. Because, I mean, they had like a CU hangover last year and ended up losing to Troy, which I think they were a better team than Troy last year. Yeah, and, you would hope they were a better team than Troy. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, is I mean, it, it, I feel like if, if, the, if he comes out or if they come out and lose to Northern Illinois, then that, I think, is a big red flag on how he handles, like, a team atmosphere. That's true. And That's true. And that would be then, one of those things know. that you could say potentially might lead to like an, a disaster kind of a season, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out next week. But um, enough about Scott Lost. Let's move <laughs> on to <laughs> Air Force. Um, so Air Force, week one, um, They granted they did have a bye this, this, this weekend, so they didn't play. But week one they played Colgate, which – um, I mean, no one's going to say Colgate's a great team, but they did absolutely just mud hole Colgate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colgate's uh, FCS football championship series program, so they're not really even in the same class as um, as 
we are, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, literally, or even Air Force, yeah, or Air Force, literally, they're not in the same like subdivision. Um, so, uh, it it probably doesn't mean a lot. And I mean, I I did watch like a little bit of the highlights from that game just to get a feel for what it looked like, and yeah, I mean, they look like a team that isn't FBS, you know. So, um, I I guess take that with a grain of salt, but. Uh, I know Air Force and the way that they play with that triple option is something that has worried a lot of people, especially like preseason um, with the buffs. And I, I think it just worries teams because it's just different. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not I'm not really that worried about just because they're a triple option team. I mean, Mel Tucker defended against a triple option against Georgia Tech at Georgia. And right. I mean, he's seen it before. It's not like this is something completely foreign to him. So I'm not as worried about that um one of my my favorite thing when i was looking over the stats and i also watched the highlights of that game but my favorite thing from the box score of the air force colgate game their quarterback was one for one passing oh so 41 yards 100 quarterback rating of course right right but then they they carried the ball 65 times which um i mean i don't pay attention to air force enough to know what their norm is but i would assume that they typically pass it more than one time a game yeah i i saw something about for those people who don't know triple option is just you have every single snap you have three options of where to go with the ball either the quarterback keeps it he hands it off to a running back or he pitches it to either another running back or a wide receiver or someone who comes around the outside based on what the defense is doing that's that's pretty much the gist of what a triple option is so it's a ton Mm -hmm. of running there's not a lot of passing um, involved a in lot this under offense. center a, yep. a lot under center um so basically what the whole idea of only throwing one pass i did see that that was like the first time i don't know if it was the first time in their history but a first time in a very long time that they have only thrown one pass but okay definitely don't expect a lot like i still think it's always gonna stay under under 10 for sure um i would agree i mean the guy who threw the pass i don't even remember what his name was but their starting quarterback his name is donald hammond the third and he wasn't the one who threw the pass it, it was, was not him. it was a backup quarterback um who came into the game later on after they were already up by 40 points or whatever it was yeah it was isaiah sanders and i think and i think a lot of that you know, it comes down to the fact that they probably didn't need to do anything fancy against right, Colgate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All they needed to do was just run the ball down their throats, which they did. I mean, 17 different people carried the ball in that game. So that was pretty unbelievable. Um, and, you know, they have, it's pretty much the way that this system works. They're just looking for athletes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They've got one guy, Caden Remsburg. He runs a 4 3 40 yard dash, which. You know, to put that in perspective, that pretty much automatically puts you in the top ten in the combine every year if you run a four three forty, um, yeah. and that for the NFL. So like that is serious speed, and I think that's kind of what their team is. It's just a bunch of guys who are athletes. Um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be the most skilled, but they're going to be fast. They're going to be agile. Uh, they're going to be strong, and they're just going to try to run the ball up and down the field the whole game. Yeah, um, and and one interesting thing about uh, obviously since it's Air Force, all the, I mean all these players are Air Force cadets, so both lines are going to be much smaller than what you see. Um, I mean, I'm trying to just look up just a couple of their linemen here. I'm 
I'm, I'm assuming, you know, when you get to the defensive tackles, they're probably going to be somewhere in like the 260 range. Right, which is, but, yeah, much smaller than you would normally see from an FBS program. Yeah, I mean, they're just, it's just, that's just the way, the nature of, of what their football team is because, they, you know, these guys have to be able to fit into aircraft. So they can't be, <laughs> they can't be 300 pound linemen. I mean, I'm looking here, one of their defensive tackles, he's 6'5, 270. Right. Um, Which, I mean, that's, yeah. Probably on the upper echelon of what they're going to allow right. as, I mean, you, as cadets. You so. compare him to freaking Sammy. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, much, much smaller. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think one of the things that I was worried about going to Nebraska, which we didn't really touch on when we were going over the game, but I think CU did a, a great job of actually, you know, holding their contain on the edge. Um, I mean, the first half they didn't really do it, but yeah, they came out in the second half plays, and they, but... yeah, I mean, obviously that Mo that uh, I don't even want to say his name, oh, yeah. um, that touchdown the second yeah. half. Uh, he got outside, but that was kind of a leak out um, as a swing pass. So that's really on the linebacker to cover that. But I mean, for the most part, they did a great job containing in the second half. And I think that's, what's probably going to be the focus again for air force is making sure if he doesn't hand it off to that, to that fullback on that first read, when he takes it outside on that second option, you know, you just got to make sure that, you know, standard defense, you have one guy, he's, he's got the pitch man. So, you know, you've got that outside linebacker, you've got that, that money, or it's not money, the star backer, um, he's got to hit the quarterback no matter what, yeah. and you know make him pitch that ball. And then if you do, you gotta you gotta expect that your your you know people behind you are gonna come up and make the play because you can't. I mean, you can't make every play in, in a triple option. You just gotta stick to your assignments. And I think that CU's got the athletes that they're gonna be able to be just fine. Um, well, one thing that I noticed that Carson Wells actually didn't play in the Husker game. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, he had a concussion. I think is mm-hmm. what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean he's he's athletic enough that this is kind of an a defense or an offense that he would I think excel against. But then again, he also did look kind of slow against Colorado State. So um, it all depends on if you know maybe if it was a scheme thing or not. But I think he could have a good game here. Him and Fallow should have uh, a really great game, and then I think. Davion Taylor was actually somebody I didn't mention for having a great game against Nebraska. I mean, he was flying all over the place. He's making tackles left and right, and he he just he stood out to me when I was rewatching the game. So I was really impressed with yeah, him as did. well. And I think, mm-hmm. um, so I think he, I think he could have a huge game as well. Uh, are there any? I mean, is there anything that's really worrying you about this game specifically? I mean, you know, I I don't want to say no. Like, I know we're all feeling real good after the win against the Huskers, so it, it feels good. And I would say after after seeing them compete like that against a, a team that I do think is, like, le- is legitimate, I mean, they're definitely talented. Um, seeing them play the way they did, like, I guess Air Force just doesn't worry me as much. Um, I'm with you. I think Mel Tucker is plenty capable of handling a triple option i i know it gives teams problems i mean what army just almost beat number seven michigan in the big house the other day so Mm -hmm. you know it it gives teams who are very good problems it's not unheard of to see um to see a team that can't handle it you know for whatever reason or just struggles against it but you know, I guess the main concern is, yeah, how how many times are they going to give up the big play on the outside? Because it seems like that's what they've been prone to 
I know they did a pretty good job, especially in the second half, of keeping that contain, getting to the edge. It's just a question of are they going to give up those big chunk plays? I mean, Washington had a 75-yard run in that game. Um, right in the CSU game, got to the outside. He broke one off. You know, it, it's, yep. it's are they going to give up that big 50-yard touchdown run um, on those plays? Because they're going to go to the outside a lot. They're going to be testing right. it a lot. And I do think they'll be better suited because they know for the most part, they're not going to be challenged downfield passing. So you can pretty much just go man coverage on, you know, whatever wide receiver or two that they throw out there and just have everyone else be responsible for someone who could potentially be getting the ball. So, right. um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me is worrying about the big chunk plays that they could give up on the outside. That's really my only concern. If they can button that down, then I think they'll be feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I pretty much everything you said there, I think is going to be huge. And I think one reason that the buffs have a huge advantage in this game, not just uh, talent wise, but I think specifically uh, Mustafa Johnson, I mean, he dominated Nebraska. I think he's going to have an, a chance for an even bigger game against here because you know, as we we're saying with the triple option, when that quarterback makes that first read, it's going to be based really on what Mustafa Johnson does coming off of the side because he's going to be left unblocked. Right. That's, I mean, right. that's the way the triple option works. They're going to leave him unblocked, and then the quarterback will make the read to either give that ball away or keep it based on whether Mustafa goes after him or the guy he's handing it off to. So, I mean, I think Mustafa is athletic enough and talented enough and fast enough that He'll be able to. He'll, there, I, I guarantee you, we're going to see some times where he just tackles both of those guys, and <laughs> just is I mean, it, goes it just, full beast mode yep. on the other team. Yeah, and yeah, and he just stops the play before he has even has a chance to develop. So I think that's a huge strength. Is him and Alex Changham, I think, are both going to be yeah, guys that are just going to just completely Terrence Lane. take over, and they're going to really, yeah, they're going to really decide pretty much how this game goes. Um, and when you have somebody like Mustafa Johnson on that end, holding that edge. Uh, I think you're pretty. You're going to be pretty solid. I mean, my guess is they're going to be game planning to make reads at the beginning of the uh, right, right before the snap goes, where they're going to pick which way they run this option based on whichever side Mustafa is not on. Oh yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, eighty percent of this of their offense going away from Mustafa just because he's. I think he's that disruptive as a player, and that's. I mean, so that's a strength, but also almost maybe a weakness for the Buffs is that it's it's very obvious that he's going to be on one side and they can just go away from every time. Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely going to be relying on guys like like Nate Landman seemed to have a better game this last week. Um, so yeah. him being able to kind of follow up that first wave of guys and, and make sure that Air Force doesn't get anyone kind of escaping to the outside, like making sure he can key in on who's got the ball. Um, Davion Taylor is like probably the fastest, most athletic guy on that defense. So yep. I'm sure he'll be out there a lot uh, trying to make plays. So he could be big for them. Um, I I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're probably going to try to avoid guys like Mustafa, like guys that they know are going to be a problem for them. So it's going to be up to, um, and, and the other guys, the guys on the other side of the line, you know, like you said, Alex Changham or, or Terrence Lang, those guys are going to have to be mm-hmm. able to step up too because if they see that they can run to one side and have success like most of the time, then they're, they're just going to stay away. I would imagine. Right. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that Changham and Lang can both have success against this team just because, I mean, they were able to do it against Nebraska. So why not air force? Yeah, sure. I think 
Say what you want about Nebraska. I think they're a better team than Air Force, and they're definitely more athletic and more talented. So, I mean, I, I think it's just, I mean, like it would be for any other team, it's going to come down to those three or four guys holding that, you know, making him, making the quarterback make a decision that he's not comfortable making and, and being in his face right when he does make that decision. Yeah, 100%. So, um, other than you know, other than those guys that we mentioned, is anybody you think needs to have a big game, or do you think just as long as the team kind of sticks to the basics and, and does what they and you know runs through the scheme that they're set up to run by the coaches, do you think that they'll win the game, or is there anybody you think needs to have a big game for us to win? I mean, other than I mean, we talked about that's a thing. Even right now, right, we've talked about pretty much everyone on the team except for the corners. Um, so yeah. I, I really do think it's when you play a team like Air Force, you're playing against the triple option. You know, you're not playing. It, it doesn't really matter the individual players. I mean, like I said, they're all just it's just a bunch of athletes on the other team. And uh, it's kind of just our scheme versus their scheme, you know. So I think it's really more going to be about everyone on the defense, making sure they're on the guy that they're supposed to be on and they're all staying on their responsibilities and they're not having too much confusion about, you know, who's going where. So, oh, and, and Mm -hmm. making tackles. Everyone has to make sure that they make their tackles because they won't be able to afford to miss tackles against a team like this because they're just going to run it down your throat. If you, if you miss a tackle or two, you know, they're going to be gone. So, yeah. And I mean, I think for the most part this year so far, I don't think that there's been too much of an issue with broken tackles. I think it's been better than in years past. The second game, see. Nebraska especially, they did a much better job, it seemed like. I mean, yeah. they had a couple of times, Martinez ran in one for a touchdown where they had a missed tackle in the backfield. Um, right. So a, a couple of things. But yeah, you, it's to be expected. Like, you're not going to make 100% of your tackles every time, especially against guys like Washington and, and Martinez who that's their whole thing is they break tackles and make big plays. So mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of just have to you do what you can, but they, they need to be consistent with that against air force, I think to have a good game. Yeah. So um, I know you hate doing this, but what do you, what are you going to give me for your prediction for the game? God, I mean, I, I have no concept of how this is going to go. I, I think honestly, uh, you're pretty close I, last well, week. I can't remember what last you did, week, pretty close. Last week, I missed it by one, which I, yeah. I don't know how I managed that one. It definitely didn't go the way I thought it was going to, but the score ended up pretty close. I 35-31 is what I had, and 34-31 was the final. But mm-hmm. um, this week, I'm going to say I don't think it'll be as close. Um, I think the Buffs defense is going to do well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of big plays that Air Force makes just because they do have the athletes. So I'm going to say it's going to be more like like 35 to 14 buffs. And I would probably say that the score is going to be bigger for the buffs. But I just think that when you play a team like this that's triple option, they will run a lot of clock when they have the yeah. ball. Cause it, there's not as much time no, to score. No, there's not as much time to score. But I yeah, I'm going to go 35-14. I think it will be fairly comfortable. Um, that's my hope anyway. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, uh, like you said, I think the defense, I mean, I don't think they're a top defense yet. Um, so, I mean, I think that they're going to give up some points, but I don't think it's going to be ever really in doubt. I might, I was going to go ahead and say 42, 24 in favor of the buffs. And I think, and I, like you said, I think 42 might be a little high just because they're going to run a lot of time off the clock. But I mean, if CU can just score quick, then it doesn't really matter right. how much time is on the clock. Right. So, with that being said, before um, we get to the tweet of the week, 
any Pac-12 games in week three that you're going to keep an eye on? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's a couple. I think uh, USC and BYU is going to be interesting because I just want to know if Slovis is legit. Not that BYU is going to be like the biggest test, but, you know, he had one good game early. Um, how's he going to look in his second game? That's that's mm-hmm. a big one for me. Um, and I'm going to say Texas Tech and Arizona. Arizona just put up a ton of points. Uh, let's see how they do against some some Power 5 competition, you know, regardless of what you think of Texas Tech. Right. Um, yeah, and I know there's a couple more, but I'll go ahead and let you go. Yeah, my, I want to I specifically keep an eye on Washington State and Houston, see how um, Washington State does against Houston. I mean, Houston gave – I mean, they didn't really make it close to Oklahoma, but they put up a decent fight against a legitimate top five team. Yeah, I mean, they put up some points. So, yeah, exactly. So, and I, like, Washington State's defense is nothing special, especially since Alex Grinch left a couple years back. So, I mean, I could see that one being an extremely close game. And uh, I guess – I mean, I, I'm pulling for Washington State. Just, um, you know, anything to help the Pac-12 image. And then – I kind of want to see how Washington bounces back from losing to Cal. See if uh, Hawaii can go three and zero against Pac twelve oh, teams, God, which would just be absolutely no. embarrassing. Please no. <laughs> but you know those, and then well, one one that I was excited for, but not as much now because I think that Michigan State's going to handle it easily. Is Michigan State Arizona State? Right, but right. I don't think Arizona State's offense has shown enough to to make that game worth worth picking yeah i mean we'll um, see i guess that's the other question about arizona state is you know were they looking ahead to michigan state already with uh who right. they were playing because obviously that's a pretty easy one to overlook sacramento state so mm-hmm. um that's true that could be an interesting one to see maybe they come out looking better maybe they're more focused on this one yeah that's you, you would hope so i mean anytime you can get a pack win over over an, a non a non-pack 12 team aside from usc i could give a shit if they if they went over. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. But um, before, you know, before Tweet of the Week, uh, I did want to say for anyone that is a gambler, I got, see, you got the, it's, it's, they're only favored by three and a half right now against Air Force. Um, I think CU's offense is just too good to only win by four points. So, uh, personally, I mean, I think that was a great line to get in. So, before, I, I think that'll move before game time, but, um, I just want to throw it out there. I think three and a half is an easy line for Colorado to take. So uh, other than that, um, tweet of the week, Chase, you actually, you know, you tweeted this one out to me uh, a couple days ago, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know how much it really relates to football other than the fact that it came from Washington state university's own head coach, Mr. Mike Leach, which um, I'm sure he'll be making many appearances on this segment, but uh, this is his first, I believe. So he it tweeted is. out sometime five days ago, I think it was. He said, one thing that I learned in law school, never pick up mouse turds when there are elephant turds falling everywhere. Focus on what's most important. I try to remind myself of this. So, <laughs> you know, I think he's basically saying, like, go for the, the big wins, not the small ones. Like, you know, don't don't grab the the mouse turds, the little victories. When when the big victories, your main goals, those elephant turds are falling from the sky. Yeah, I was when you sent me that. I mean, I laughed. Oh, I laughed out loud, legitimately. But I had no idea where the hell that came Dude, from. This guy. I mean, he's a he's a coach, an actual coach of a Division One team that's 
been good the last couple of years. So I don't know. He's crazy, but I, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I had to do a double take on who it was. I thought it might be some fake account or something, but nope, that's just Mike Leach. Yep. That, that is him. And I think, uh, honorable mention just because he won, uh, Jaden Cowley at Scrappy Dappy J <laughs> tweeted out snow melts at 32. I guess frost melts somewhere between 33 and 34. Beautiful. Which was a great tweet, you know, using C's 20, 33 scored points last year, 34 this year. Beautiful. Love the tweet. Yeah. So somewhere between 33 and 34, that was probably, that was probably my favorite tweet to see. But other than that, um, should be a fun, fun week and a chance for the buffs to go three and O and, you know, depending on, what happens with the teams at the lower end of the top 25? CU could sneak in there. They were getting uh, the seventh most votes outside the top 25, so they're technically the 32nd best team in the eyes of the AP voters right now. So, I mean, who knows if they get, if they, you know, put on an impressive performance and some teams drop out, there's a chance that they could get, uh, go be ranked heading into that Arizona State game in week four. Yeah, there's some potential. And I mean, you know, like we said, Arizona State doesn't look great or didn't look great last week but if they turn around and shock michigan state they could find their way in there too so uh it could it could end up being a pretty interesting game uh up in tempe um come next week yep and yeah i mean we'll talk about that one a little bit more after this week but that one does scare me just because it's a it's a hot it's hot down in september in tempe but um, hey, we'll get some more on we that got next some, week. We got some DeSoto, Texas boys carrying this team, so I think they can handle it. I think they can, too. All right. Well, um, as always, thank you for listening, and Sco Buffs. Sco Buffs.